The following program is a part of the Movie Morgue Network. I've already been dead for such a very, very long time. But I've come back to bring you news of the most gruesome twosome ever produced. Film Podcast. This is a spoiler podcast. And now, your hosts, Tim S. Turner and Kelly Hogaboo. Hello, and welcome back to Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees. This time, We'll be returning to Derry to face It, Chapter 2, toning our Spanish guitar for the original Django, and preparing for the shopping spree of our lives with hide-and-go-seek. All this and more are coming your way, but first, please help me in welcoming back to the microphone the queen of screams and submarines herself, my co-host, Kelly Hogaboom. Hey, good afternoon, Tim. Hello, hello. So, um, before we get uh, into what we've been watching, it's time for... Smoking Guy Update. Smoking Guy Update. All right, right. So, (laughs) I fear that the recent brief spate of rain that we had has, much like uh, uh, gremlins, caused him to multiply because now there are two. Oh, <laughs> Again, for those of you who didn't hear, there's there's a guy. It doesn't matter what time of day or night. Whenever I go outside, he's out there smoking, and we're literally talking about two a.m., four thirty a.m., ten a.m., three p.m. He's always there. Well, now I went to work again as usual at four thirty in the morning, and now there's a woman there. Uh, well, that's kind of sweet. <laughs> I guess. I mean, either that, I mean, that they're sharing their, their horrible, crippling addiction. But, uh, you know, I guess now he's got someone to smoke with. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like, what? I mean, now I'm like, is, is it going to be like, are there going to be like little little smokettes? Little, yeah. Little children with cigarettes out there um, that are going to just pop up out of nowhere? I, so is I, she there all hours of the night, too, or do you not yes. know yet? Oh, gosh, that's so weird. Yeah, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter what time I go out. Now he's there and she's there. They're both there. Wow. <laughs> Although, actually, there was one time I went out there and it was just her. And then I almost got to my car and then he popped out of nowhere 
and passed me. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, so uh, what have you been watching recently? Uh, well, I haven't. I've been working so much, and I haven't been watching as much. But it is October, and so I am watching more horror. And um, my oldest watches movies with me, so he's a little discerning. So I have to kind of sell it. We did watch Friday the Thirteenth, um, the second one, mm-hmm. which you know, I mean, I I've seen probably about six Friday the Thirteenth movies, uh-huh. and I don't find them compelling at all. Um, but I would say that number two was pretty good. Um, so yeah, it's decent. Uh, yeah. It, it's actually not bad. Yeah, it's all right. It's better than the first one for sure. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So we watched that. We also, um, gosh, I think two nights ago, we rewatched Slumber Party Massacre. Um, <laughs> so Ra- Ralph was cooking dinner and Phoenix and I are watching and he's like, how was your slasher? And Phoenix and I are like, it was good. So we had fun with that one. Like that one's more fun. Like the more times I watch it, um, and then for actual, you know, decent um, television, I did watch Unbelievable on Netflix. So that's a police procedural based, uh, quite closely based on true events um, about a young woman who, I think it's in the '90s. She comes to the police with um, a rape. Uh, she's had an intruder and a rape and she tells the police and they don't believe her. And um, it goes from there, like without revealing any spoilers. But I want to say it was like an eight-part series on Netflix and it was absolutely great. Um, And the fact that it was a true story was, was pretty cool, but it's definitely one of the better police procedurals I've seen. Um, Obviously super difficult, Uh, material to watch um, mostly because of you know what happens to her when she's not believed and kind of what ends up happening to her life Um, but she's still alive and she loved the film so that's that's good Um, and then the other one I watched also based on true events but way more loosely based on true events is um, I am the night uh, which kind of seems to have flown under the radar but I would say it's the best noir that I've ever seen. It was so good. And um, I watched it, again, like absolutely not knowing anything about the story. And the whole time I was watching it, I, w- I was like, how can this be a true story? Like, it was wild. Um, so it kind of touches on the Black Dahlia murder, and it touches on some like high-profile trials. And it has that awesome noir... You know, it's got the drugs and the sex and the incest and the surreal creepiness. And um, it's just 100% excellent. Totally recommend it. And I think I rented it on Prime. I think that's how I finally got a hold of it. Okay. Uh, who, who's in that? Uh, Chris Pine. And then um, India, I can't remember her name all of a sudden. India mm-hmm. Isley. Um, so Chris Pine plays a reporter who's got some, pro- you know, he's kind of the noir anti-hero where he's got lots of problems, right? Sure. <laughs> but he did such a great job. And um, it's directed by Patty Jenkins, and I think it was partly produced or written by her partner. Um, and, you know, Patty Jenkins and Chris Pine worked together on Wonder Woman, so she, right. must, she must be like a big Chris Pine fan. But um, both he and India um, Isley, the, the female lead in it, they were just excellent. And, and like I said, as I'm watching it, I thought, this cannot be a true story. Um, and I waited. <laughs> I waited to finish it. And then I looked up. And I, I just think they did an amazing job of marrying 
true events with fictional pieces and that that was masterfully done so i i like to you know i always recommend people watch something without knowing anything about it so i'll just say it's it's a noir you know um drama and it's excellent highly recommended cool okay uh well first off uh i I saw a film last week that uh got a, a lot of um good press but it just seemed to just come and go and vanish very quickly and that was ready or not right and i really enjoyed it it was a lot of fun and it did something that a lot of movies don't do anymore at least it seems like they don't and that's get in get out entertain you and go in a short period of time everything seems to be two and a half to three hours now um and this thing's like 91 minutes i think Mm. And uh, it's directed by uh, these two guys collectively known as Radio Silence. And I believe they're the same guys who did the framing sequence for the uh, uh, horror anthology Southbound. Which I saw. Did you see that one? I did. Mm-hmm. I actually rewatched it after watching, uh, uh, you know, Ready or Not. And uh, so. The plot is this this uh, young woman marries into this old money wealth family and um, that they built their reputation and, and their money on board games. And she's told the night of the wedding, oh, well, we have to meet at midnight with the rest of the family and play a game. And uh, you have to draw a card and the card will say what the game is that we're going to play. And, of course, she picks the one card that's really, really, really bad, uh, which is hide-and-seek, which means the family has to hunt her down and <laughs> sacrifice her to the devil to keep the wealth and prosperity of the family gotcha. going. Right. And um, <clears throat> it, it, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. There, it, it, it's got a lot of gore in it, but it's, a, it, it's very much more of a dark comedy than, say, a horror film. And uh, the performances all around are great, uh, really good. Um, Adrian Brody, in particular, I think is kind of a standout. He 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 is. You one mean of the, Adam Adam Brody? I'm sorry. Yeah, Adam Brody. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they're very different. Uh, <laughs> and he, he's he seems to be the one relative with a conscience. And uh, Samara Weaving, I believe, is the uh, the lead, and she's really good. The only other thing I'd seen her in was that. Uh, Again, another kind of horror comedy called The Cheerleader that was on Netflix. And uh, it, it, it's, it's just a lot of fun, and I, re- I totally recommend it to, uh, uh, to everybody. Um, let's see. She was in um, Picnic at Hanging Rock, the 2018. Uh, the, yes. Yeah, which was, yeah. I really liked, but it, it was odd. But, um, yeah, well, it looked like, I, didn't, um, I, I almost said hide and go shriek. Ready or not, <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a fun film, you know. Yeah, I think it's a shame it didn't really. It just didn't seem to get a lot of uh, studio backing. I guess as far mm-hmm. as publicity, it just it was here at the, our, our main theater for a week, and then I was like, oh crap, it it disappeared, and it, it was at our. It, it went straight to our second run theater where it's like three bucks, mm. you know. And so I said, well, I better watch it now because it'll be gone next week, you know. And sure enough, it was. Wow. Um, and yeah, that was that was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, as you know, I've been watching um, The Terror Season 2, and 
Yes. Uh, I, I will not ruin it because I know you'll like probably hunt me down and kill me if I did say something about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been watching that. And, and are you liking it? Well, I'll, I'll save that for when we discuss it. Oh, okay. Because I know I, you're going to want to discuss it. I Yeah. The, the day that I can get every episode in a row... Um, Phoenix and I, my oldest, we are having a, the terror day and that is like all we're doing is watching that. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm like super excited. Yeah. It, uh, I think there's only two episodes left, so okay. that's on the horizon for you. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the last thing I did was, uh, last night. And in, in fact, I went to a double feature at uh, our cult movie night downtown and it was uh, Halloween three and trick or treat. And uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Both ninety-minute movies, so it was a quick three hours. Uh, I don't think I've ever done a double feature besides at the drive-in, where you're kind of not really watching anyway. Like you're getting well, off. True. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, why did they have to get rid of most drive-ins before I finally came of age to enjoy it? We have one up here. It's awesome. Yeah, we 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 only had well now we had two here where I live. One of them closed down when I first moved up here, and then the other one was a porn drive-in, and um, <laughs> that's been closed for about fifteen years. I remember, I still remember it because I was like thirteen, and we it, 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 the rocket scientists who designed this place that had the screen facing the, the highway, oh. uh, one hundred and one, and I don't know how there weren't more accidents. Because right. I, I remember we were driving from San Francisco to Santa Rosa, where I live, and and I look over and I'm like, "Whoa!" Well, <laughs> and you'd the... think people would complain about that. You that's, would think so. That's goofy. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty ridiculous. But they finally got rid of it. But um, yeah, that was that was silly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. So. Um, without further ado, let's move on to our films. Uh, well, it's that time of year again. The leaves are falling, the smell of pumpkin spice is in the air, and demonic extraterrestrial clown spiders are munching down on children everywhere. Ah, memories. It's been 30 years since the gang of friends known as the Losers defeated Pennywise the Clown, but now the murders are starting anew, and it's up to the now grown-up team to send back to, send him back to hell where he belongs. And there's more gore, more clown teeth, and lots and lots of Bill Hader one-liners to go around, but can anything stop it? Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. Again. Hello? Kid! Hello? Kid! 
27 years, I dreamt of you. I craved you. I missed you. We need to finish it. For good. I've seen all of us die. It consumes us from the inside until we don't have a choice anymore. So, Kelly, it, chapter uh, two. Now, I know you saw the first one, correct? Yes, I did. And okay. I, did we talk about it? I don't remember. I No, because that was about two years ago, so I don't think so. Okay. And you didn't talk about it uh, with another co-host or anything? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I saw the first one. Um, ever since I saw it, I've tried to get the kids to watch with me. And they're like, we don't want to watch children getting murdered by a clown. Oh, and I'm not? like, I know, I'm like, fair enough. And I'm like, I swear it's not scary. And they're, they're both like, F you. We can tell that it's scary. <laughs> so um, I saw chapter two in the theater. First of all, Bill Skarsgård does a great job. He just does. And there's just yeah. no there's no point in comparing him to Tim Curry um, from the miniseries because they're just different dudes and it's a different portrayal. Yeah. Um, and Bill gets the benefit of better, you know, better budget. Um, Tim Curry did great with what he got to work with. Um, so Bill does a great job. And um, I, I have to admit, I don't think either film is that great. Um, but I'm just such a, I read that book as a little kid and there's no way I wouldn't see a, an adaptation of it. I would just see it no matter what. So, um, the, the second one, I will say it was, it had even more jump scares. It just was a big gauntlet of jump scares, which is <laughs> corny. Um, but I mean, I had a good time. Yeah. You know, hmm, how do I put this? I enjoyed it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I, I think just like with the book and also, you know, the previous uh, TV adaptation, part one, it just seems like it's inherently going to be stronger than part two every time. Because mm. the, the, the fears of childhood just seem like a more of a natural uh, breeding ground for horror as opposed to adults remembering when they were a kid. Right. Um, and... You know, I'm going I'm to say what most critics have been saying, which is I think Bill Hader is fantastic in this. I love him in this. He is he's a perfect grown up Richie. Uh, he's he's extremely funny. And I don't think they go um, I don't think they have him go too over the top with being funny. Right. You know, it doesn't stop, uh, you know, the plot and its tracks so that he can do do shtick. It's usually just a line here, a line there. Um but I think I thought he was great. Everything down to at the end uh, when they they make it out and they're in the I guess is that is like a river or something uh, or a lake or whatever it is. I think it's a river. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically breaks down for finally for the first time after this the whole movie where he's always used his humor as you know uh, <clears throat> a defense mechanism. Um, 
and I thought that scene was really well done, and, and he, he did a great job. Um, I, I have to say, I don't think Pennywise was as scary in this no. one. No, no. It, it seemed a lot like just rehashing the same thing that he did in the first one. Now, I do have to admit, I loved the whole bit where he, he just basically chomped that little girl's head off. I thought that was hysterical. I don't. It wasn't scary, per se, but just the way it just was kind of like, oh, you know, be my right. friend, give me a hug. Ah! <laughs> yeah, there were. That was so weird because, like, I feel like that scene, and then the little boy that he similarly chomps in the house, yeah, the house the of mirror, mirrors. Yeah, I was like, I think they're saying that these things really are happening. You know, uh, in reality, yes, um, certainly with the little girl. With the little boy, the only person that ever seemed to see the little boy was um, McAvoy. Uh, right. Is it Bill? Is yeah. that Yeah. And so there was kind of a, like, is he real? You know, I, I think he was real. But I think besides those two murders, there's no other current murder that he commits. Oh, and at the beginning, the beginning of the film. There's right, this, the gay couple, yeah. Oh my gosh, there's this horrific gay bash scene that is just yeah. over the top and disgusting. And mm-hmm. then the clown, of course, you think he's going to kill the villains, right? Because that's right. how they, but instead he kills the, the man who's been horribly brutalized. Yeah. Um, they're like, look, Pennywise is a real bad guy. I'm like, okay, got it. But besides though, he didn't really... He was mostly menacing the um, the loser club or whatever. Like he wasn't, and I kind of would have liked more child murder, like in the film. <laughs> I want that to like be our uh, on our next promo. Right. I wanted more child murder. And like, what, there was there was some serious loose ends in this one. Um, you know, they brought back uh, Patrick Hopsegger, who uh, he had a very memorable, horrible death in the book. I mean, just mm-hmm. absolutely one of the scariest things I've read in a book. Um, and he's played by Owen Teague, whom, whom I adore. He was wonderful in um, Bloodline, which is one of my favorite dramas on television. But um, he shows up as a corpse, right? Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, is he able to affect the plot? Is he a hallucination? Is he a real corpse? And there was just a lot of things like that that just felt like loose ends, like like you weren't sure. And he kind of just disappears. Right. He appears point. twice and then all the like as if he's going to be yes. you know, uh, you know, assisting, you know, almost Henry like kind of like, Yeah, almost kind of like he's like um, Pennywise's Renfield or something. Right. Right. And yet he just disappears after yes. two scenes and then you never see him again. That's right. And they don't they don't kind of lead you out of he's gone or he's he's going to affect the plot. And yeah. So there's kind of a lot of that and it felt like the first one where we're just basically marched from one spot spooky scene to another it's like oh here's the scene with eddie and the paul bunyan statue which was so scary in the book right <laughs> um you know so so again i mean i love the gore the special effects which you know mostly are cgi but you can tell there's some sort of animatronic puppety stuff too which is awesome um but do i think the film like the films kind of hold up as good horror films. I actually don't, but they were super fun and I totally want to watch them again. Um, the other surprise, uh, James Ranson, who plays, um, I get there, he, he became so much more compelling as a character than I thought he would. He, he and um, Richie are just constantly bantering. Right. And I, I ended up loving him um, as a character and I did remember that he gets killed at the end, and they, they sure enough, they kill him off. Right. But he was great. Um, 
I thought it was so corny that they added like Richie's big secret is that he's gay and loves Eddie. Right. And I thought that was so dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, if these people are such tight loser club, like they're like BFFs forever, right? Although they, they haven't spoken in like 20 right, years. But they're supposedly 30. so tight from this experience. But he can't tell his friends that secret. Like, well, it, it's 2019, man. Like, that just kind of made the whole we're best friends forever fall pretty flat. Well, I, okay, here, my, my issue with it is that for a film that was just under three hours long, which I didn't think it needed to be, they sure cut a lot out. That, uh, the whole, they cut the entire subplot of uh, uh, Jim's wife uh out where she comes to Derry and she Oh Audra, get, yeah. Yeah, and she gets caught in the deadlights and uh he has to you know snap her out of it even after Pennywise is dead and uh they, that she literally is in one scene and that's it. And she never is yeah. heard yeah. from again. Um and the the same thing with um uh the bully. We never uh he is dispatched far earlier than I remember. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't much of a player as as much as he was in the. Book. Yeah, I thought in the I thought in the book he was there a lot longer. Yeah, um, and also they did okay. There's one thing they did change from the book that I didn't mind, and that was the fact that. Um, oh, man, I, I'm sorry. I'm totally blanking. What What is the name of the the, the character who stayed? Oh, Mike? Mike. Yeah, Mike Hanlon. Um, well, in the book, uh, Henry stabs him, and he spends the entire climax in the hospital. Right. He's not Barely even there. remember that. Right. And I did like the fact that he survived to go to the climax, because it, it always felt kind of, especially since they've already really cheapened his character enough. Oh, man, he was robbed in both films. He yeah. had the least amount of backstory. He had the least amount of personality. I mean, that was a huge disappointment. Yeah, but you know, that's why I was like, okay, well, at least they had him you right. know, there at the ending battle because otherwise I would have been like, well, why even bother having right. him? Right. <laughs> you know, except for he's like the token black character, which is a terrible thing to say, but I mean, that's really what he is. Well, and they could have, they could have updated that. You know, they don't, they could have, um, they could have mixed up the cast more and not had a token black character. Like that's Stephen King writes it as a token black character. Cause yes. Stephen King is, um, I, I'm not a big fan of his writing. And I have to, I have to say another thing that King does in his books that the, the movies decided to leave in was this he, Stephen King has a weird idea that like about fat people. So they've got the oh. Ben and Ben's entire personality is that he was once fat and now he's not, and now he's hot. And I just don't <laughs> think that's that big of a deal. And I, do, I think that's a very kind of 80s concept of being the fat kid. And, like, it's just they kept bringing it up. Like, they have the dinner at the Chinese restaurant, and they kept bringing up how Ben used to be fat. Yeah. And I just don't know adults who, like, I don't find that a very sympathetic way for them to behave. And I don't have friends that would behave like that. <laughs> like, constantly talk about how you used to be the fat kid. So that was pretty corny. Um, and then they hired this super hunky guy to play the adult Ben, which was <laughs> yeah. weird, you know, um, with and, perpetual oh, five o'clock shadow. Yeah. 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 I was like, where, <laughs> and I was like, where have I seen him? And I had seen him in top of the lake, which is one of my other uh, favorite dark, dark as hell 
um, sort of cop stories. But um, and Beverly was kind of she was much stronger in the first movie and her Jessica Chastain doesn't, she's such a great actress and I felt like she didn't get a lot um, going for her in this film, but so you preferred uh, Annette O'Toole. Uh, I don't know it's, if I'd say that, but I did, I, I guess I would say that now that I'm thinking, I haven't seen the miniseries in 400 years, so I don't remember, but um, well, to coincide with the release of this movie, they've been having it, you know, for free on, on demand the original. Oh, so nice. I actually got to watch it. I can, and compare, um, it, you know, it, it's interesting how much the original just gets shit on a lot, uh, other than Tim Curry, uh, especially the part with the adults. And I'm like, you know, I actually liked the adults in, uh, yeah, in, in that because they, what they did is they were very, I thought it was clever that they took people who were generally comic actors like Harry Anderson and John Ritter. Yeah, and, that's right. I forgot um, about John Ritter. You know, Tim <laughs> Reed from yeah. WKRP. Uh, you know, so it was a bunch of you know, comic actors. And Annette O'Toole's done a lot of comedy. Um, so, and I thought they actually did a good job. Um, My memory of the miniseries is pretty positive, especially yeah. considering it's basically a made-for-TV film. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job. Yeah, and, 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 you know, there's a reason that people still love Tim Curry's Pennywise because he's he, – he does have the one thing that Bill Skarsgård has that I don't – I mean, that I prefer. And that is, you know, the whole point of Pennywise is he's supposed to look like an innocuous clown. Uh, you know, to look, to, you know, <laughs> not to, a scary one, right? right to lure children gotcha, because it's like, oh, gotcha. here you want a balloon, you know, and he's like, I mean, not the voice per se, but like the face, he looks like you know, like a a, a party clown right. kind of thing. Whereas Skarsgård, from the beginning, like as soon as you see him, you go, oh hell no, yeah, exactly. You know, so true. he's creepy so as hell true. looking, and he's got yeah. the wandering eye that he can make move and and the giant forehead, and the giant right. forehead. Yeah, nobody would invite that clown anywhere. You're yeah, right. it's like, and of course, like he's wearing like you know the the turn of the century kind of harlequin costume that's all you know like uh it looks rotted and limp yeah and everything again not something that you could usually you would think would lure children yeah i, I think you're um, totally right i think that it's scarier when he looks physically like an innocuous or at least a familiar sort of clown and then right. he's got this alien like he has no purpose except for to like tear people apart. Like that was effective in the miniseries, in my opinion. Yeah. So when he did the thing, when like he opened his mouth and he had all the teeth and his eyes were glowing, then it was like, oh my god. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know whereas with Skarsgård, you know, you kind of like, yeah, I can see that happening. You know? Yeah. You're like, yep, that was in there. We we knew that was coming. Yeah. Um, Oh, what was I? Get? So I have to. I had. We had the weirdest event. So we had. We watched our four hours of trailers, right? And yeah, I'm, ar- this is I'm already a lot of trailers, yeah. Right? And I'm already sitting there going, "Oh my god!" Like I, I'm glad to be here. I'm. I was on a date with Ralph. Like happy to be there. But I'm like, this is gonna be a long movie. And right in the beginning, when there was that horrific, protracted gay bash, you know, they're beating this man to death. Yeah. Um. Someone in the theater had a seizure. Um, oh my God! Yeah, so it, so yes, it was very, it was really awful because it happened at this awful part of the film. So they stopped the film, turn up the lights, and it took quite a while to get the guy out. Um, he was he 
he didn't become responsive before he left. Like he was out of it and he, it was quite, quite a thing. And here's two things that happened. The guy that came with him did not even go with him to the hospital. He stayed to watch the rest of the film. Hey, man, he paid his 12 bucks. I could not believe that. Ralph (laughs) Ralph said to me, he goes, Kelly, if I ever have like a medical event, will you at least come with me in the ambulance? And I said, yes. And secondly, (laughs) so it was a packed house because it was the first night. Lots of people there. And so Ralph ran into someone in the community. And the person said, it was kind of annoying. They stopped the movie. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) So, you know, wow. two points for compassion. I'm like, holy shit. But I will say it's, it's sort of, it started the film off in this really dark way. It was just yeah, no like, kidding. damn. But um, yeah, I felt like we were there for a long time. But um, the scene that the audience liked the most was the scene that they show in the trailer, um, the scene we just played in the trailer with Beverly and the old lady. Right, that's um, the strongest people, scene, I it's think. It's so good because the old lady is back there naked running around. Yeah. Everyone is laughing because they know something awful. <laughs> like, yeah. They're just like, people were like tittering. They were so excited. And I, I have to say, like, that scene was awesome. And Ralph hadn't seen it. So I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was, to me, I thought that was actually the strongest scene, and you yeah. don't even see Pennywise in that, per se. Yep. And the reason I think it works the best is because it's 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 more subtle and creepy. Right. And um, it reminded me very much of, uh, of scenes from uh, something by David Lynch. It, it, yeah. it, it kind of had that, that same kind of coloring. He has a certain kind of a color palette. And um, it, it just, the way the old lady was had, sat there and had that kind of like kind of weird half smile on her face. Yeah. And it, it didn't say anything for long periods of time. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> get the hell out of there. Yeah, and and of course the, the trailer didn't show the monster. She transforms into a naked old lady monster. Yeah. And I honestly felt that monster wasn't as scary as the woman um right i think it'd be better if they hadn't even shown the shown it or just had her just not overdone the cgi because the monster that comes running out of there is like nine foot tall and you know it's just this and it to me it looked visibly cgi and so that means in five years it's really gonna look cgi yeah so you know but there were you know the leper was like that too there were scenes where the leper was pretty scary and then there were scenes where it was really cgi over the top so um i um, do look forward to watching it again because i will tell you i had my ears plugged and my eyes squinted a lot um because i don't like jump scares <laughs> so <laughs> uh okay now forgive me for if, if if i i'm being dumb and i just missed something what was the point of uh, when eddie faces the the leper again what was the point of, of, of the Juice Newton song playing during that? Oh, it didn't seem to match at all. No, and it comes out of nowhere, and it's literally like a brief snippet. It's not like it plays for the whole scene. No, that was very odd. I mean, the movie had comedy parts, and that was, I think, what that was. Yeah, um, but, but it has um, no context, though. It's, no. it's weird. And the comedy would be weird because, like, you'd have comedy and then one second later a kid gets its head bit off. And you're like, yeah. ah. So the movie had trouble with its tone, I think. <laughs> but, yeah, that was odd. That was super odd. Okay, good. It wasn't just me. Uh, <laughs> the thing I will say, for a film that's almost three hours, it, it flew by pretty quickly for me. 
Not for me after everything that went down in that theater. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I mean, because I kept go, my, my worry when I went in there was like, oh, my God, three hours. I, I don't want to sit here for three hours. And right. and then all of a sudden I, I realized, oh, they're this is the final act. They're going down into the cave to to face right. Pennywise and everything. It's like it's, that means it's almost over. And I was like, oh, wow. OK, so it, it, it actually felt fairly brisk for me. Um I guess what it comes down to for me is it's it. I think it's it's a noble failure. I I liked a lot of it, but there was a lot of stuff in it to me that just was clumsy or it didn't quite work. Um, like like the CGI in it is just painful. It, it's so yeah plastic looking, and um, I mean at least the Paul Bunyan thing, you know this, it, you know. It, it's supposed to be a statue, so it's supposed to look kind of chunky as it's moving around. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think for, for really for Bill Hader and James Ransom alone, I think yeah. they really made the movie for me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess, like, you know, you know, one out of ten, I, I, think, I think I give this one a six. I, I gave the original one a seven. You mean the first one or the original? The I'm sorry, series? yeah, part one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I feel like the film, um, they went, for both movies, they went with over-the-top bombastic horror instead of trying to make a genuinely scary film. And so for yeah. me, it wasn't scary. There's a lot of jump scares, which I don't find scary. I find annoying and um, kind of lazy writing. But... I just have that emotional attachment to the actual book and the sort of premise. And so I still loved it, but yeah, I would probably do the same exact rating, a seven for the first and a six for the sequel. And, and uh, I think we can both agree that, you know, down the road, you know, so, someone's going to decide to remake it yeah. again, you know, let's continue the tradition of never including that one infamous scene from the book. <laughs> You that mean, takes place in the tunnel. Where the children all have sex? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's can, leave can that Can we avoid out. that? <laughs> and, like, we should leave the fat jokes out and some of King's sexism. Although uh, uh, the, the um, cameo of King was totally adorable. Oh, that uh, was, was great. Was I like that. Very sort of pandering, but it was still cute, you know. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. Uh, in the post-Civil War era, a drifter wanders into a small town run by the villainous Major Jackson after saving a prostitute from being gang-raped. Jackson enjoys shooting down innocent Mexican farmers as they attempt to run to freedom, and some Mexican bandits cut off a fake preacher's ear and feed it to him. If this doesn't convince you that this is perfect fare for your child's eighth birthday party, then you may just have to answer to Django.
So, Kelly, uh, how many spaghetti westerns have you seen? I've probably seen 20. Oh, okay. Um, I had not seen, you know, Franco Nero in anything. And I hadn't seen, you know, the two actual Django films or the, I don't know, 20 weirdly referential Django films. So Yeah, they, they, they basically made a, a bunch of films and just uh, because they're dubbed. Right. Uh, they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Django. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even though it has nothing to do with it. The, there's actually only two films that are connected. Right. right. <laughs> or they, you know, they actually have Franco Nero in them. With quite a space in between, too. I think it's like 30 years or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I kind of, I always think I like spaghetti westerns, and then I start, <laughs> I start to watch them, and I'm like, oh, like, I'm so bored, and like... Really? Oh, yeah. They're not, there's a few I like. Um, they're so iconic, uh, but they're really um, predictable and repetitive, and they also have a dystopian feel that I don't find... <clears throat> Uh, compelling and I would say this one crosses the line from spaghetti western into exploitation just because of how many Mexicans that it, it kills it's if you like to watch Mexicans being killed first of all you have a problem and something's yeah. wrong with you but secondly this film definitely delivers that um, uh, I could tell also I'm like okay clearly Franco Nero is the supposed to be this sort of sex appeal character. Yes. Which I feel like um, that was true of Clint Eastwood in his as well. Like he mm -hmm. was, they're very much of the same kind of um, mold. Right. Um, the dubbing was a huge problem for me. I think I would have liked the film twice as much if I was, would have been watching people speak in their language and been reading subtitles. Well, I, I, I watched the Blu-ray, and I actually ha it has both the English and the original track uh, mm -hmm. in, in uh, Italian, and uh, I watched it in both. Now, did the so sometimes in old you know Italian or Spanish Italian you know movies, some of the actors are speaking you know Spanish or Italian, and some are speaking English. So, like, was everybody speaking Italian in the one that you watched? Um, I think so i think mm -hmm. the majority of them uh were um i think that most of them were speaking italian uh I, I you know you're you're right about there's a lot of uh, a lot of those you know spaghetti mm -hmm. westerns tended to have a lot of um <laughs> international cast that's a great way to put it <laughs> like they just scrape up whoever they can get in there so. yeah so, uh, you know, they would have somebody speaking English right. and somebody speaking, uh, uh, you know, uh, German because you would get because there's some that have like Klaus Kinski, you know, right. uh, your favorite. Our favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, yeah, it was always interesting to me. Um, the, the the fact that they it would it would just be like it must be so bizarre to to be acting with people that that don't speak your language yeah in the scene it's like yeah what <laughs> um yeah so i mean i i don't know uh, I, but but as far as okay i personally i love django it's it's one of my favorite i i love spaghetti westerns um 
And uh, I, I have several friends that are just absolutely rabidly in love with um, Franco Nero. Okay. And his, his piercing blue eyes, you know, and all that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, and, I, and I get it. I think he's a good-looking dude. Yeah. You know? um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked – it was interesting to me because it felt almost like two films – uh, it felt like there's part one, which led up to, you know, when, because he, he carries, uh, he drags a coffin with him. He's so emo. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. He's like the original emo. And uh, <laughs> um, he, so, you know, he, he basically goads Major Jackson into bringing all of his men into town. And... <clears throat> He he pulls the coffin out, and everybody's freaking out, like, oh, my God, they're going to kill you. And all of a sudden, he pulls out a Gatling gun and just guns. He just mows down everybody. Mm-hmm. And to me, that I love that scene because it's just kind of like out of nowhere, like, oh, yeah, bah, 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 and then everyone's <laughs> gone. And it, it almost feels like that would be the end of the movie. Right. But that's actually like a third of the way in. And then it goes off into this other thing where, like, the um, the Mexican bandits come into town, and apparently Django knows them. And uh, kind of, but kind of buddies, but they're like, there's no honor amongst thieves, right? Exactly. Tram, yeah. And uh, I, and uh, and I, I, I kind of thought that was kind of a, a fun little uh, shtick with him. And of course, they're like, oh, they're gonna, they agree, they're gonna split this gold. And you know, much like in the Man with No Name. Uh, trilogy and um high plains drifter Django doesn't always play above board so he decides he's going to steal all the gold himself and uh that blows up in his face really bad (laughs) yeah i mean um it's funny my husband was asking me what the difference is between these old westerns and um and, and noir film and we were talking about that and i'm like well you know, one one difference is that I sort of am noticing is weirdly these old spaghetti westerns are they do capitalize on the sex appeal of the star mm-hmm. more more than noir does. Nor nor the the guy is definitely the hero, but he's not the beefcake in it. No, and there's a lot of times they're schlubs. Yeah, exactly right, and like, so yeah. that's kind of interesting. You know, there's probably some homoerotic aspect to some of these European horrors that or not horror but um, westerns, but the other thing is, in both noir and uh, old westerns, this anti-hero makes some pretty stupid moves. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> like he—he's like, sure, I'll—I'll I'll trust this woman, the femme fatale, or whatever, or sure, I will trust this Mexican bandit leader. <laughs> and you're like, look, if this guy is so smart, like you know, because he's smart enough to outwit all of these bad guys, but then he makes a call like that where you're like. Duh, like dumbass. But yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kind of reminds me like of a good-looking Edmund O'Brien, uh, <clears throat> like, like in some uh, some of O'Brien's noirs, where he's just like kind of. I mean, it, it, he makes like dumb decision after dumb decision yeah. that, that blows up in his face, and it's just yeah. like, oh, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Which is kind of to me that takes me out of the movie because he he's supposed to be a pretty wily guy. That's the whole way reason that he survived this incredibly hostile dystopian you know cutthroat universe and then he makes a move you're like no nah, I, don't, I don't think he would have done that um i guess on on django's uh the film's defense we didn't have too much i thought we'd see a lot more um 
horrible brutalization of women and that you know they have they open with that but i feel like um it you know it kind of mostly just focused on killing off mexicans and kkk um operatives so it was pre-kk but yeah the majority of the violence is committed against the against guys um, right in it because you got the guy you know like with Django, i mean they, they literally they capture him they crush his hands yeah with uh, I guess with gun butts, they just keep smashing his hands so he can't fire a weapon. And um, I love I love the climax with him in the cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a good move. I thought that was pretty badass, actually. And it, they, it was, that's yeah. another thing they show in westerns. There's always some trick, right? The the yes. you know, like I'm remembering which Clint Eastwood was it where he has the metal plate under his poncho? Uh, that's, was that that's good, the original the bad, uh, yeah. fistful of dollars. Fistful yeah. of dollars. Okay, so there's always like some you know he's up against some odds, and there's you're just like there's no way, and he has a trick. And Django's trick in this is actually pretty cute. Um, although the scene where Jackson is firing at him. And Django's just kind of ducking behind the cross. Yeah, this <laughs> flimsy little cross, yes. So I'm like, okay. But um, yeah, he gets them. And the the um, the hand injuries were comically gross. They were like, yeah. <laughs> just like the, this red color that is not a color that exists in nature. Like blood on his hands. Yeah. Well, that's why a lot of like the spaghetti westerns, but also you know the the Jalo films. Uh, I, yeah, they're violent, but they usually don't really bother me because it's got that day glow, yeah. melted crayon blood. Right. That just looks ridiculous. It yeah. doesn't look anything like human blood at all. Um, and, and I I guess it's one of the reasons I I love the the Jalo so much and the spaghetti western is because uh, it seems like there's something with Italian cinema that the, everything with them is very operatic. Right, it's campy. Right, right. It's very over the top. Um, you know, nothing is ever done with half measures. Um, you know, it's like we're, we could like shoot giant Django in the hand so he can't fire his weapon. No, 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 no. Let's crush his hands right. on screen over the course of about 20 seconds of just smash, smash, smash. <laughs> and I also love how these films, these old spaghetti westerns, to they make everybody so filthy. I mean, Django oh, yeah. is coated with a, a quarter inch of dirt and mud at all times, and I just think people are a little tidier than that but like that's how they show that it's gritty as they literally put grit although the women typically have um you know amazing makeup and like i i don't know where they're getting the false eyelashes that they're wearing <laughs> like um but yeah everybody is so except the women are just so greasy and gross and you're just like oh well, Even did, you, did you notice that our heroine, it just seems like no matter how much abuse she takes, she looks great. Yeah, she does. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And she she's such, she has just no personality. I mean, she from the second Django rescues her, she just wants to be Django's girlfriend. And um, that was corny as hell. But she's like, Django. So, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, come on. He, he, he's a mm, hunk. Nah. Doesn't do it for me. Really? No, no, not my I, type. I am, I am like nonplussed. <laughs> Everyone's got different types, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was not one attractive man in this film, from my perspective. Maria was pretty great. I, I was more into Maria, but yeah, she didn't, didn't get a personality in the film, which is a bummer. But I did like the score. It was pretty great. Yes, yeah. I love the score. But that's one of the things that a lot of spaghetti westerns tend to have really. Uh, 
beautiful uh, soundtracks with some really great uh, Spanish guitar or you know uh, you know harmonica mm-hmm. or you know uh, percussion really interesting stuff that uh, yeah I, I love the theme song yeah I know it's been stuck in my head because Django <laughs> yeah so corny <laughs> and they used it uh, you know in Django Unchained uh, yeah um Tarantino reused it in that, and you, and you know Franco Nero's in that, of course. Yeah, a little cameo. He's lots, little, of, lots uh, of great cameos in that film. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I as a side note, I I really like the uh, the bad guy uh, Major Jackson. Um, he's played by an actor named Eduardo Fajardo, and um, he has been in a lot of Jalo films. Oh, okay. And that's really where I knew him from. Is, does he always play a? a... <clears throat> piece of shit <laughs> nine times out of ten yes uh-huh. yeah he has that look right treacherous yeah yeah he um he almost always in, in, in uh, inevitably if he's not um if he's not a bad guy uh, if he's not the main villain then he's still shady somehow uh you know so i mean he he's been in, in uh everything from like uh maniac mansion and Two Faces of Fear, uh, Lisa and the Devil, that kind of thing. And he's always got that scuzzy, he's kind of got that, that you know, the, the half-lidded eyes where he kind of right. like looks at you out of the corner of his eyes and you're like, nah, he's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I, thought he was, I thought he was great. And then there was that one guy uh, uh, who was his, a henchman who got killed off fairly early. But, man, that guy was was not winning any Mr. Universe uh, yeah. contest. Yeah. yeah. He's like missing like you know, like 10 teeth or something. And, right. Uh, every time they'd show him, he'd be cackling like, ah, <laughs> Right. <laughs> he kinda... there's, and there's always a lot of that in these films. They're just sort yeah. of cartoony. Yeah. And then you had the General Hugo, which was a totally offensive Mexican stereotype. So that was fun. And then you oh, have yeah. the... Um, the bartender Nathaniel, played by a man mm. named Angel Alvarez. Yes. And I look on. I'm looking on his Wikipedia. Says a page that says he often played a plump storekeeper or a bank manager. So, so he, right he up his alley. Kinda, yeah, he just kind of stuck. It's like you're the you're the plump like guy in the because you know almost everybody in spaghetti westerns is skinny, but he gets to be the plump bank manager. Yeah, and he he, w- he got killed off, I think, right? Yeah, near the end, unfortunately. He he, he was the the bartender slash. Uh, kindly pimp. Um. <laughs> and did did you know anything about red shirts before you watched this film? Um, no, I just I, I just assumed that they were supposed to be kind of like a a faux clan kind of thing. They, they they're real. That's a real thing. Oh, I really? Yeah. So um, I I don't know my history enough, but I think they're a proto clan. But they were like a real thing during the Reconstruction. So I did not know that until I saw this film and I looked it up. Um, so I don't know any more than that. Just that it's a real a real thing. And huh. um, you know they're they're sort of like you know putting Nazis in film. They're they're great bad guys, right? You're like yeah, sure. mow, mow a bunch of them down. That sounds great. You know? Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of faceless Nazis. Ah, that'd right. be great. <laughs> See you later. Off, like twenty of them there. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm I'm a big fan of Sergio Carbucci because he he did he did a bunch of these and um, uh, you know I. 
I, I, I suspect that your, your rating is not going to be as high as mine, but. <laughs> well, I guess I would say for a spaghetti Western, it was great. But for like, I mean, I usually rate it according to what it is. So I guess I'd give it um, about an eight. Uh, really? I do, yeah, I do. Again, like for a spaghetti Western. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like Franco Nero, Nero has, um, he has charisma. He's not, he doesn't ring my bell, but he definitely has a lot of charisma. And I believe this was his breakout film mm -hmm. and I believe people loved it. Um, and you know, the pacing's pretty good. The score is excellent. And, um, if you like spaghetti Westerns, you'd got to see it for sure. Oh, well, good. Uh, yeah, I, I, I give it an eight as well. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm a Franco Nero fan because, you know, like, uh, if you remember, he was, you know, in Die Hard 2. Um, I did not remember that. Who was he in Die Hard 2? He was the the, 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 uh, the dictator that they were trying to get out of the country. Gosh, I haven't seen Die Hard 2 in, like, a long time. He didn't okay. have much dialogue, really. Okay. You didn't really see him until near the end of the film when they were trying to escape on the plane and John McClane, you know, blows it up because he's cool. Um, yeah. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it, f uh, Franco Nero he uh, he actually appeared later on in a in a great uh, Jalo film called The Fifth Chord, okay. and uh, it's one that I really really like. It's got really beautiful cinematography in it, and it's very creepy. Uh, interesting killer with an interesting motivation. Um, well. Uh, let's see, now that we're done with that, uh, we'll be back after this commercial break with the scintillating hide-and-go-shriek. Refresh yourself. It's intermission time. The concession stand is open and ready to serve you. Shh. Class, come to order. Pay attention just once. We have a lesson to teach to the dunce. Is the candy good conviction? Yeah, the tasty is perfection. Have we got a good selection? We invite your close inspection. Is the ice cream not delicious? Helpful, tasty, unnutritious. Is the popcorn crisp and helpful? Yeah, it is sure a mouthful. Is the soda cold and fizzy? Vitamins keep the bubbles busy. Ah, that's good. The lesson is learned. The trip to the sweet spa you have earned. Now is time for intermission. Treat yourself to some nutrition. Ladies and gentlemen, our next attraction. There are candy bars galore in the lobby candy store, just in case you want to taste of something sweet. Our popcorn is nutritious, you will find it mm. delicious. Both anything that you would care to eat. Cooling drinks that are so grand, simply name your favorite friend. Are some ice cream so good and helpful too? If you feel you need nutrition, now's the time. It's intermission. Step right up. We have the very best for you. Okay, welcome back. Barf me out. It's amazing we survived the 80s. What with acid wash wedgies, Aquanet mishaps, and those pesky murderers springing out of gloomy corners to hack us to death for our premarital transgressions. When four obnoxious couples decide to celebrate their high school graduation with a booze-up sleepover and a three-story furniture store, hijinks ensue. If by hijinks we mean loads of slasher cliches and lots of spooky establishing shots of creepy, dead-eyed mannequins. Wait, why is a furniture store loaded with mannequins? Hey, 
Don't bother me with questions. Tonight, we're in for the adventure of a lifetime in our game of Hide and Go Shriek. It was their graduation party. A night for friends. Well, hey, here's to eight fabulous friends who got through high school and are gonna do great things! You are gonna love making love. You'll never want to stop. A night for love. A night for games. Let's play hide and go seek. Someone else is playing a game with their lives. First of all, uh, let me just say, how dare you? Um, <laughs> I'm you know, so pleased. It's usually you doing this to me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I have a lot of 80s slasher films on Blu-ray mm. and, um, you know, things like Graduation Day and Final Exam, which we've covered in the past. And I, I think those movies are a lot of fun. And, you know, they're not... Uh, they're not Oscar-worthy art house type yeah. stuff, but they're at least they're they're fun on a certain level. Hide and Go Shriek is awful. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, for a movie that's an hour and twenty minutes, it feels like three hours. Yeah, long. you're like, oh. <laughs> and I, I mean, it, it is first of all like some of the most unlikable characters. I, I, I if you're gonna sit through one of these things, at least you gotta have characters you like. First of all. Uh, I, I I wanted to just absolutely just beat the shit out of the guy with the shades. Um, yeah, Randy. He, Randy wears these goddamn shades the entire film indoors at night in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, at the 55 minute mark, uh, I, I kept saying, uh, "Please God, make this end and kill the guy with the shades." Uh, and he fucking lives. He does. You. you... <laughs> If you so there's four couples in this film. It's a super simple premise which I liked. It's four couples and they're high, they're they just graduated high school. They're fairly unconvincing as far as age goes. Um and each couple kind of has their personality and you know their um whatever they're whatever they're going through and they decide they're going to stay the night and party 
all night in this big furniture store owned by one of the couple's fathers. And they, while they're there, some cross-dressing killer starts to stalk and murder them. And you, you would not be able to predict who lives and who dies if you watch this. No, I, yeah. I had no idea who it was going to be. Yeah. Because you would think, oh, okay, you've got the virginal couple. Right. That haven't had, they get killed first. Yeah, they're the first to go. Yeah. Which was just, just like, oh, by the way. <laughs> and like the, go ahead. <laughs> by the way, the girl, like the whole, uh, whole first part of the movie is talking about, oh, oh what am I, how am I going to do uh, my first time? And what's it going to be like? And That scene was great, Tim. I know and, what scene you're about to talk about. <laughs> and, uh, I'm a virgin. I want to make, you know, you know, I, I don't want it to, I want it to be special and don't, don't cheapen it. And, and then she proceeds to do a strip tease like a professional stripper. She clear, first of all, <laughs> first of all, she clearly, well, I think that was Bonnie. Yeah. Um, I looked up that actress on Facebook, and I am going to friend request her, by the way. Oh, my but, God. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> she clearly has stripper or dancer background. Like She, she has you to. Know, she, she has skills, although it was the stupidest scene I've ever Because she's like, I want it to be special. And then she puts on these cheesy white pumps. And yeah. she her clothes, people, I cannot get across how she's got the biggest ugliest pair of shorts I've ever seen in my life and this big baggy shirt and yeah. she starts this sexy move and she has some pretty cute underwear on underneath but it is the corniest there's all of a sudden this like sexy music it's the stupidest shit I loved it oh god it yeah she, she's uh, uh, you know started her own uh, clothing line called 80s frump yeah, it was. She was in the frumpy. Yeah, and and, and the strip scene. And it, it, I actually, I have to admit, I laughed my ass off. Yeah. because I was like, "Are you serious?" Because it just kept going on and on, and it was like, uh, it, it sounded like, um, you know, like a Casio keyboard attempt at soft porn. Yeah. You know, the wah, 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 wah. yeah. If we didn't, yeah. if we didn't already have a great closing song yeah. for this podcast, we would pick that because it, it was out of nowhere. All of a sudden. So another thing to know is these couples, you know, every most slashers are have this sort of sexual anxiety piece where people are going off to have sex and that's when they're vulnerable and they get killed. Sure. This slasher probably has the most sex. Like it's not that it shows sex. Sex is that that's what everybody's doing at all times. They're like, okay, let's like that one couple, John and um, oh the mean girl Bonnie. Right. I I think they have sex three times. Like yeah. Just, they're just like let's and in some gross bed of a furniture store. It's so gross. Well, the like, the whole thing is. Well, first of all, I don't know a lot of three story furniture stores, um, let alone ones that have mannequins in them. Yeah, which yeah. is creepy enough. Um, but I mean, there were so many little bits in the movie that just had <laughs> had me uh, either laughing or groaning or both. Uh, I, near the beginning, there's like the guys are like working out. Oh yeah, like lifting weights, and while the one guy is like like pumping iron, the other guy goes and like just shoves a banana in his mouth. Mm-hmm. He'll like, have a banana, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so <laughs> yeah, no subtext here. It's all text. Yeah, that was weird because it was a little homoerotic at the beginning, but then yeah. they dro- once they get to the furniture store, that's gone. That that was just a weird scene. Yeah, but like I we do have a three story furniture store here. Oh my god! But every 
So it's all staged quite beautifully, all three floors. This was clearly some warehouse. Yeah, it was just they, like a bunch of crap piled up. Yes, it was. It was so dingy and depressing. And they have some explanation for the mannequins, but there is no sufficient explanation because there's so many gross, daggy-looking mannequins. Well, and there's not... For, if it's supposed to be an actual furniture store... Where's like the the escalators or right. or anything like the only thing there is a service elevator. Right. Um, some other random stuff like when they like when we saw um, uh, when they all got you know they had the van that they were gonna go party in uh, and Randy shows up with his friggin' shades and his new haircut his new spiked up hair uh, they were they were like, giving him shit about his hair. And he's like, it's not just a haircut. It cost me six bucks. Right. <laughs> Way to go, Supercuts. Um, and then they play the, this terrible kind of like a um, like a, a ripoff of Walk This Way. Right. That's right. On a keyboard. It's like, as they do these bizarre, like, dance motions getting into the van. Like, it was almost like like the scene in Breakfast Club where they're, like, up there doing the different dance moves or something. And also, I have to admit that the guy who had the... Uh, Bloom County shirt that said Penguin Lust on it. I had that shirt. <laughs> okay, first of all, I do not even remember that, and now I have to go look it up. You don't remember it? <laughs> I, how could I have missed that? Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Who was wearing it? Was oh, it the God. one that looked like he was 12? Uh, yeah. So that was Sean and, like, listen, listeners, um, there's one couple that's kind of like the sweet couple. They don't know if they like each other. And, and right. in this, the course this evening, they discover that they totally want to get it on. Yeah. That the boy, Sean, he looks about like 16. Like I have sons who are 16 and 15, uh, sorry, 17 and 15. I hope they didn't overhear me saying that. <laughs> and like, I am so uncomfortable watching like a young boy in his little jock underwear. <laughs> like, I just like, if you wanted, if you're straight and you want to commit to celibacy, you need to watch <laughs> this movie because this the sexuality in it is so repulsive and just off putting, and like there's so much of it, and I love it for that. <laughs> it's awful. Well, if if that didn't turn you off, this will. When they find Sean dead, mm. he's literally just wearing tidy whities yeah, and gray. has a boner. Yeah, there that's etched into my brain, and the yeah. camera. Fixes on his boner as they're all looking like, oh no, it's Sean. Sean's dead, you know. And it's like, and they show, it keeps getting closer to it, his crotch, and I'm like, they had to know what they were showing. What is yeah. going? What is happening? When they find John's body, you can see like the outline of his penis through his underwear, oh and I'm just, God. I'm just like, ah. Uh. But you know, um, I, I was asking my kids, I was like, is there any way to say this without body shaming? I don't think there is because John's <laughs> nipples may be so uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, in a movie that's got a lot of uh, a female nudity, the fact that his nipples were the upsetting part. Uh, well, there's a was scene great. where he, so he, he and his girlfriend Bonnie, and Bonnie's kind of like the mean girl, and she also survives. So you're definitely yeah. thinking she's going to get killed, but. um they supposedly are in love and going to get married. And so the film is trying to portray them as being like passionately in love. And there's this scene where they both strip down 
and it's she looks like she's about to puke. Like she, yeah. it's supposed it's supposed to be sexy, but she looks upset. She does not look into it. <laughs> no, and then he <laughs> takes off his, and his nipples are like, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like so. It was awful. You're la- you're laughing at my trauma. <laughs> Oh my god. And so okay, and so like at the end of the movie, there's a character that we've seen earlier on who works in the warehouse. He's got you know, they they make an effort to show that okay, he's got earrings and eyeliner, comical makeup. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's very over the top and so you're led to believe that it's him. Right. And no, it's not. It's a guy that uh, apparently he was in prison with uh, that uh, fell in love with him, and then when they got out, he he wanted to you know have a relationship with him, and he didn't want it, and so he's gonna kill off anybody that he considers in their way. That's his yeah. whole motive uh, of the film. Yep. So, oh, go on. Were you? Were you... Well, I, it just it just seemed. I don't know. I mean. I, it just did, it didn't work for me. It, 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 the, the I mean, granted, it, there's a lot of slashers with much less motivation for uh, for <laughs> yeah, killing. Like, yeah. <laughs> but. So so okay, I have to give you a tiny bit of background. So I saw this when I was 12. Oh my uh, god! Yeah. So um, it did was his nipples pretty upset new. You then? I know. I don't even remember the. <laughs> I didn't remember the sex in it at all. I just remembered some of the kills and like. I'm 12. That's pretty young. And the ending where, you know, Kim, who, by the way, this this was a dark period in that actress's life because not only did she make this film, but she was married to Bob Seger for a year. So, you know, sorry, Kim, or I can't remember her name. But anyway, she's (laughs) she's tied up naked to the top of the um, elevator and they somehow cut her head off with the elevator. That's not really explained how that could have happened, but her head falls down. And as the two men, you know, the warehouse felon and his erstwhile lover are arguing and tussling, um, the the bad guy, the, the extremely offensively portrayed sort of, you know, transsexual slash gay uh, murderer, he like stabs his ex-boyfriend in the neck. He's fighting with the teens and he steps backwards onto Kim's head and falls down the <laughs> elevator shaft. And that scene is etched. That's the only thing I remembered about that movie when I suggested we watched it. Because as a twelve-year-old, I was like, I, I, "It was, it blew my mind." Well, and that's by the way one of the worst fake heads. It was pretty bad. I, I mean, it, I've seen some fake heads, like you know, say in um, you know the the old uh, William Castle House on Haunted Hill or something. Oh yeah. But man, this was terrible. It didn't even it looks it didn't even look like her. I know. And what's funny is I read I read that the actress um, she she did the makeup on the head to make it look look more like her. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm like I uh, <laughs> like really. So yeah. yeah. Don't admit that. Yeah. yeah right. But um yeah so you know. Yeah, I feel like it was trying to, um, you know, it reminded me of themes in, you know, Dress to Kill and Psycho, right? Because you've sure. got this sort of villainous, you know, trans angle or whatever. Um, but it was stupid. It was so stupid. <laughs> it, I, I got to tell you, I, I, with the, the only thing that keeps me from just totally obliterating this thing ratings-wise is the, 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 there's a the couple of 
scenes like the strip tease and the boner thing i mean it's just like okay those those entertain me but i mean it's like i i gotta give this like a two because it's just, it was frigging painful I, to sit I, through. I can't believe i'm sure you gave what was it that x-ray horror hospital one much higher rating and that oh, was much because uh x-ray is a great film duh. oh is it okay all right <laughs> well i guess i think for an 80s slasher this is pretty good i would give oh, it dear. like a, yeah i'd give it like a four you know it's it's pretty um pretty simple premise pretty uh easy to follow unpleasant teens i like that each one of them had a personality a horrible horrible personality <laughs> um and i like that we didn't uh you couldn't have predicted who was going to live and die i thought that was kind of cool i think really that's really the only thing i would say this has going for it really is that it it, it doesn't follow the standard tropes of who's going to get it right because usually you're, you're like because you know, it's it's mostly icons right you right. know, it's it's like okay, you're gonna have the bitch. You know the bitch is gonna die. You know the jock is gonna die. You know the the prankster is gonna get it. Um, you know, there's always there's certain ones that, you know that you know are are dead meat. And in this one, it, it's they completely turn it on its head. It's completely different. Um, it, it it's very it seems very random, which I guess yeah. is more realistic. But um, who knows? Realistic. There was no realism in this film, Tim. No. Oh yeah, the fact that he survives falling down that shaft, I think that was pretty great. <laughs> that was pretty. He's like, I'm fine. His, yeah, no, his yeah, eyeliner's a little it, messed up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I can. Now I can By the way, uh, there's two uh, two ambulances, and he's driving one of them. So you don't think that the cops are going to notice if, no. if it like takes off in a different direction or. I have to say, I uh, felt my my heart. Um, you know, Fred seemed like a good guy, right? The the maintenance man who was yeah. living there, um, you know, he was trying to get his life back together and like, he was a good guy and he got stabbed in the neck. And, and that was a hilarious death scene. Yes. He, he stabbed in the neck, but he tells the story about like, oh, he and I got together in prison and blah. very eloquent little story. And then he goes, ah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I, like, I love the fact the that Oscar. they didn't even, uh, it's like, oh, here, here's like a small compress for right. your life-threatening injury. Right. Good and they're luck. like, yeah, tell us. Tell us what happened. Yeah, exactly. How about like you like, get the guy medical attention first and then he can explain at the hospital or something. And also like not one second after Zach, the murderer, falls down the shaft, this cop runs up and is like, what's going on? Yeah, oh yeah. He just goes, hey, what's up? Yeah, exactly. Hey, who but, did yeah. this? What are you guys doing with uh, covered with blood and everything? You know, right. oh my god. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad I got to torture you for once with a terrible, terrible. That's, that's fine. Film. I've got a Jalo coming you're like, up for you. You're like, yeah, you just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me, I've got a list of Jalo that I can oh, pull from at right. any given time. That's why <laughs> earlier, earlier when you were talking about Franco Nero, you're like, he's in a really good Jalo. I'm like, you have no, I have no trust. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, the one he's in is actually pretty, okay. pretty good. Right. Um, it's not like, you know, as wonderful as strip nude for your killer, but it, 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 it is pretty, pretty good. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, uh, scold us, praise us or whatever, we love feedback. Please drop us a line at moviemorgue1 at att.net. Uh, you can also check out our social media feeds with our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Plus, you can listen to past episodes on our website at bbnbs.net. Uh, a really wonderful website that uh, Kelly designed. And um, 
I have to say uh, thanks to both the Colombo Confab podcast and uh, the wonderful Chris Clayton on uh, the Strange and Deadly show for uh, mentioning us and saying such nice words. And um, so uh, please rate and subscribe and spread the words so we can infect, uh, I mean, entertain the masses. <laughs> so next time, it's our Halloween spectacular as Kelly and I will tackle The Lighthouse, Ravenous, and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So until next time, remember, as Spidey says, with great power comes great responsibility. And we'll see you next month. Django! Django! So horny.